Welcome to this episode of Artist Tales, the podcast that features and celebrates artists from different walks of life. I'm Heather Martin, and I'm speaking with Jennifer Cavanaugh, who has worked in the publishing industry for nearly 30 years, both as an author and a literary agent. Jennifer has also run a community centre in East London, worked with street homeless and refugees, set up microcredit programs in London and several African countries, and worked as a research associate for the Prison Reform Trust. She has many years facilitating conflict resolution workshops for alternative to violence. I met Jennifer through Quakers. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. It's really good to have you. And you have such a diverse background. And I predominantly know you as, as a, an author, but I know you, you ran a literary agency for, for quite a number of years. So tell me a little bit more about your kind of creative journey and how you got into writing. How I got into writing most immediately was that in 2002, 2001, 2002, I went around the world for a year. And when I came back, I thought, I must write about this. And then when I started, I found I was using the journals that I'd written when I was traveling because they had the immediacy. And once I got started with writing, I really couldn't stop. But I've always had a sense that one day I would write, I mean, from childhood. It just took a much, much longer than I thought it was going to. And I also thought I would write fiction. And actually, it took me quite a long time to get to writing my first novel. What sorts of things have you written before you actually wrote your first novel? The first book was about the journey around the world and my spiritual journey. And then I wrote about a lot of the people that I met during that journey in a book called The World is Our Cloister, which was about living a contemplative life in the world, not behind monastic walls. And then a number of books on, broadly speaking, spiritual topics. Some were more specifically religious than others, but very often taking a spiritual take on major topics like home and failure and money, because these were topics that I was engaged with that interested me and that I felt I had something to say. And I know your most recent book that you wrote, Let Me Take You By The Hand, is really your kind of going around and speaking to people that people often just pass in the streets. So how did that come about? Well, in the past, I had done a couple of books, particularly the books on failure and home, where I asked people what those topics meant to them. So I was interviewing people. But this one was completely different. And first of all, I knew that I needed a couple of people to help me with it because I was knew I wanted to interview people who either lived or worked on the streets. And that included drug dealers and people working in the sex industry and would include some interviews at night. So I knew I, I couldn't do those. I needed someone else to help me with that. But where the topic came from was some years ago. Well, in fact, when I was writing the book on home, I came across the writings of Henry Mayhew, who was writing in the 1850s and 60s. And he wrote an extraordinary book in like four volumes, absolutely vast, called London Labour and the London Poor, which was interviews with people who lived and worked on the streets. And it just occurred to me that some things hadn't changed. And I wondered whether an approach now to that same topic would be quite revelatory about what was going on on the streets of London now. And it took me quite a few years to dare to do it. But there were a couple of synchronicities, really, that launched me into it. One 
was when I read in Mayhew that the shelters for homeless people would be opened when the thermometer dropped below zero. And then the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, said in 2017 that the homeless shelters would be opened when the temperature dropped to zero. And I thought that was such a startling, not not coincidence, but such a startling echo of Victorian times. And I did approach somebody at that point who wasn't able to take it on. And so I sort of let it go for a bit. And what triggered it immediately was when in my Facebook feed, I saw an extraordinary collage of a street sweeper in Victorian times and a street sweeper now in exactly the same pose, exactly the same place. And I thought, all right, okay, I need to do this. And I'm currently reading through that book, and it's you've done a really good job in echoing, you know, certainly including Mayhew's excerpts from Mayhew's work with some of the stories that you have of today. And it's striking how similar they are. It's almost like the saying of the more it changes, the more it stays the same, really. Yeah. And it's just, I find it really quite fascinating to read that. Good. And I know certainly, because like we're friends on Facebook, and a lot of what you write is kind of those snippets of conversations, and it snippets into people's lives. And as you say, lives of people that quite easily are looked over. Yes, in fact, although this is obviously much more major and a a different tone, it is a continuation of what I do anyway, which is talking to strangers on the street. I, I get a great joy out of people watching and talking to people about what they do. And during the pandemic, it's become my social life. Yeah, because I think it's very easy. And I, I've certainly with the pandemic, I think like a lot of people, I, I don't see people in person as much. And I think that's quite a common theme for many people. <laughs> yeah. But of course, all the research for this book was done before lockdown. I started researching it at the end of 2018 and finished in March 2020. And I just can't say how grateful I am that the interviews were done just before we locked down. So I was able to spend the next couple of months pulling the book together. Yes, I guess the timing, things kind of aligned for the timing, didn't they? (laughs) They did. (laughs) They did. And certainly, I mean, I have a number of your books, and certainly there is the, the those spiritual books which you've touched on you know certainly this book which is more rooted in it's, it's not fiction it's more real you know it's kind of people real stories but you did have that one fiction book so how did that come about actually there are two or oh, two sorry well two that are published and a third that isn't yet published <laughs> well yes that was actually I suppose all the books sort of just suddenly appear in one's mind that the spirit descends. But the fiction is particularly interesting. The first novel was called The Emancipation of Bee, and it came to me as an image. I had no idea I was going to write a novel, and I had got this image, and I started writing it as a woman, and it didn't work, and I started it in first person, and it didn't work, and then I started writing it as a man, and I realized, yes, it is about a man, and it gradually told its own story. And in fact, the image turned out to be the very end of the book. And the second novel, which is called The Silence Diaries, came to me because I met a ventriloquist. And I was absolutely fascinated. And that's developed into a novel. And is your process for the different types of novels you do, are they very distinct? Or is there there kind of overlap between the different books, the different types of books you do? I suppose the overlap is that they all come from me. I think with fiction, 
Because I worked as an agent for all those years, I knew about writing fiction. I'd worked with novelists a lot. And I always knew that characters took a life of their own, but I really didn't know the half of it. They absolutely do. And also, I didn't understand how writing a novel taps into all the unconscious detritus of one's life, as well as the conscious stuff. It's a much more unconscious process, I think, than than writing nonfiction has been for me anyway. I've known you now, Jennifer, for a number of years. And one thing that I know of you is you're very social, you're very socially minded. And as I said in my introduction, you know, you've been very involved with community efforts to, to particularly for the poor and the microcredit. How much does that influence you in terms of, of your writing? This last book, I see really as the kind of summation of everything that I've done up to now in that area. So that the work I did with homeless people for many years in the late 90s, early 2000s, and the prison work and the microcredit, so it was a period of about 12 years, um, feeds into this because many of the people that I met on the streets had been in and out of prison, many were homeless and so on. So I sort of see it as a kind of, yes, summation of, of what I've done up to now, which leads it quite in a strange position about what I do next. I was going to ask you what's next. (laughs) Yeah, well, I thought you might. So um, I actually finished this book about 18 months ago, since when I've been waiting (laughs) for some kind of idea. In the past, I've written incredibly fast. I do write fast and book ideas come quickly and I write short books except this one. But then I suppose because this was a very different kind of book, And because we were in lockdown and I wasn't meeting people in the same way and there were all sorts of psychological things going on for me as they have been for everybody else about the situation that we're in, the creative spirit seems strangely silent and I've actually found it very hard. I, I, I don't feel completely alive unless I'm writing. And then just a few weeks ago, something began to stir and I'm not quite sure whether it'll be fiction or nonfiction yet. But it's around the story of my Russian grandmother, whom I never met. She was murdered by the Nazis. But she was a very strong presence in my life because my mother talked about her a lot. She adored her and never stopped thinking about her. And she was a very romantic figure, very Chekhovian kind of figure and a pianist. And it occurred to me that her story and the story of my mother up to a point, because my mother was 102 when she died. So she sort of covered the whole of the 20th century. And in a way that they were caught up in the stories of the 20th century, the Russian Revolution, the the Holocaust, the war, and so on and so forth. And I've got something in my head which I'm calling Thread of Life, which is about the continuation of women's lives during that century. So we'll see what happens. That sounds very interesting. I'll certainly be, you know, hopefully in first one of the first people in queue to, to get that book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What I know we've probably touched on it a little bit, but what influences you in your writing? It's really strange. I don't know is the answer. I think it's where where the ideas come from the issues that are engaging me at any particular time. I mean, the book on failure, for instance, came from, it's called The Success, uh, The Failure of Success, by the way. When I was running a microcredit program in an African village, there were some women who were not repaying their their loan, and I became worried that the, the project would fail. 
And I mentioned this to someone and they said, well, what would success look like? And I thought, well, if you help one person out of poverty, that could be seen as success, but not if you've raised the expectation of 100. And then I started thinking about what does what do success and failure really mean? Is it a matter of numbers? Is it a matter of expectation? And so that's where that book came from. The book on home came from many years of working with homelessness, people who were homeless, and also realizing that home was so much bigger a topic than a shelter and all the things that it meant. So yes, there are things that have come out of maybe work I was doing or a little book of unknowing came from my interest in the whole conception of letting go of the need to know, which happened to me in my own spiritual life. So yes, it's tapping into what I'm doing or what's going on with me. And what sort of challenges have you faced or are you facing? So I know that COVID's happening right now or we're kind of, you know, coming out of probably various forms of lockdown. So what sort of challenges have you faced as as an author, even as a literary agent? Well, I see my publishing life is very separate from my writing. And the 30 years that you mentioned at the beginning were the publishing, not the writing, because I didn't start to write until 2002. And I left publishing in 1997. So Having worked all those years with other writers and enabling them to write didn't leave me much room for my own writing. I I didn't even imagine that I was going to write at that point. Um, Challenges as a writer, I don't know. I'm quite compulsive once I start. I suppose the challenge over the last couple of years has been waiting and not forcing something to happen, being prepared to allow the spirit to nudge me, which it often does in the middle of the night. I wrote a novel in my 30s because I wanted to have written a novel, not because I really had anything to say. And it was absolute rubbish. But, you know, I I sat down every day to write X number of words in the same place. And I realized that that kind of disciplined way of working is not for me. It is for many people. But I am a very disciplined person. So actually, I have to let go of some of that discipline in order to allow the creative spirit to move. So I don't write at a particular time. I don't write a particular number of words. I have a notebook with me all the time. I write in the park. I write very much in the middle of the night. I scribble. Things emerge when they emerge. And I don't write sequentially. I write a paragraph when it happens to me or a sentence or a word that is the right word at that moment. And then I sort of put it all together afterwards. Now, going back to your book on home, was that related to that? Because I know you worked with a friend of yours on the board game about home. Was that related? Absolutely. The, the board game, which is also called Journey Home, came from the book. I just woke one morning and realized that the themes of the book, which were home as family, as community, as shelter, as the environment and inner peace, would make a board game. I don't know where that came from. Same with the book as it just emerges. But I then got together with some young Quakers and we did some playing around with it. And yes, a a friend of mine who sadly died now designed it. And um, we found a a games producer. And yes, it, it emerged and really has done very well in many countries of the world, actually. And how was that? I know it kind of was probably, it sounded like it was a spontaneous sort of thing that came out, but it it seems very different from writing. I mean, how did you feel about 
kind of doing something which to me seems completely different. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was huge fun, actually. You know, I've always liked board games and I never in a million years imagined I would produce one. But it was great fun playing around with ideas. And, you know, as I said, young, young Quakers helped me because they were very creative and, you know, a different generation. And uh, we used to board games too. And it was fun working with Andrew, the designer. Yes, looking at the visual side of it and the concepts and trying. I think that the challenge there was somebody said, don't make it too worthy. I think they meant, you know, not too moral, moralistic. And that, that was a really good lesson, you know. So, yeah, I took that on board. And I did produce another game much more recently called The Prayer Game, which is a card game, which I basically fought out in one night. I thought I was doing a workshop and I wanted to do something on prayer and I thought I'd like to do something different. And I'd seen something on worship that was a sort of game. And I thought, oh, we could do that with prayer. And I sat down one evening and wrote 54 words or phrases on on prayer. And that was huge fun. Loved it. <laughs> and is that something that has been also, because you mentioned the other board game was actually quite successful and still selling it. You know, how well did, not, not to say one is more successful than the other, but how was the, the card game received? Oh, incredibly well. I mean, so I was really surprised because I did think it would work for different denominations. It never occurred to me it would work for other faiths. But, you know, a Buddhist has said, oh, yes, that would be great for us. And, and a Jew, my, my brother, said, yeah, we could use that in the synagogue. So, and, and the great thing about it is it's very small. It's easy to post. It's cheap, much cheaper than the board game, which is much more complex, of course. So, yes, again, I've been sending it off to Alaska and all over the place. <laughs> now, we did talk about, you know, you do have an idea for, for another book. So you've kind of taken my last question from me. Sorry. Um, no, 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 don't apologize. You, you know, you've, you've touched on that sort of question. And it's good that you have something in, in mind. But I guess if you're looking back to your younger self, where you knew you were wanting to be a writer, or even in your 30s, when you, you know, you did the, you sat down and very disciplined, did, did the book, what advice would you give to your younger self? Or what advice would you give to maybe other authors who might be starting out their, their kind of writing journey? I suppose let it happen and be prepared. Don't try and force it. Keep a notebook with you. <laughs> Expect the unexpected because it's it's not a predictable journey. I guess, yes, I guess all of those things. And, you know, I, as a child, I wrote poetry and stuff and I, I studied literature and I assumed I would write and then didn't for all those years. So, and then it turned out to be nonfiction, which I was not expecting. And yeah, so let it evolve the way it wants to. I was going to say, it sounds like, you know, it's not something you controlled. It just sort of happens. It sort of comes out in a, you know, you, some might say a spirit-led way. Either if you're not religious, it might just be serendipity or something or your artistic side. It just sort of happens. And I, I often find that with my photography. It just, I just sort of see things. I can try to force it and then and it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. But it's different for everybody. And for some people, the disciplined way of sit sitting down every day and writing is crucial. And I think it's really important. Yes, it's, it's interesting to listen to other writers and how they work and so on. But your way will be your own way and to trust it. So it's very much finding your way and your voice and just mm. going with it. Mm, exactly. Well, thank you, Jennifer. It's been wonderful chatting with you. And it's, you have such an interesting journey and a variety of things that you've done, you know, both with your writing and, and also your social work as well. 
Thank you. Thanks for asking me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Artist Tales. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Further information about the artist I spoke with is in the episode notes. Please rate and review this podcast on the apps and spread the word. You can get in touch by emailing artisttalespodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is on social media. Check the information in the episode notes. Hope you join me next episode 